If you would turn to Matthew chapter 5, as we continue our look through the Beatitudes, and of course, in greater context, the uh, uh, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, let's review. Uh, last week, we dealt with um, Blessed are the Poor in Spirit. We saw that those touched by grace realize they are begging poor, that they have nothing to offer the Lord but are entirely dependent upon him for salvation and everything else. In other words, it doesn't just stop at conversion. It is the way Christians live, because as a Christian who's been given light, nothing's changed. We're no more worthy than we were before. To give yourself to the Lord and make him the center of your life will bring the utmost happiness to you. That's kind of the underlying thought through all these, right? The Lord has in both the Old and New Testaments made it clear that true godliness begins with a transformed inner man. That has always been the case. Um, and uh, that was taught in the Old, uh, even though uh, the, under the Old Covenant uh, there were other things going on there that uh, underline what God has always wanted in men is hearts that love him supremely. And that began in Adam and has never uh, changed no matter what covenants might be in place at the time or anything like that. So, last week we saw that the start of true happiness and joy is to realize your utter need of Christ. Not only do we have nothing to offer the Lord, but what we do have by nature only brings mis- uh, misery. So, it's, it's again, we're, we not only cannot do anything to, uh, to, to bring about the Lord's blessings, but what we do have, because of our sin nature, is our problem. So there's no, we have nothing, no righteousness to offer to the Lord to begin with. And we learn that those under Christ's rule will find happiness and fulfillment as we look to Him for all things and we do all things for Him. That's what will bring the most benefit to us. And so there is self-denial. Um, in self-denial, we find the most gain for ourselves, And that's really one of the paradoxes of the Christian life and the paradox of the kingdom of God. That as we, the more we serve, the more uh, we will find uh, uh, benefit for ourselves. And, of course, the sin has twisted that. And so the, in the world's way of thinking, the more I live for self, the more happiness I will find. And, and of course, that's just the opposite of the how God created us. And that's what led to the fall. Adam and Eve felt that God was withholding something from them, and they uh, failed to find their full happiness in the Lord and brought misery. And so Jesus is teaching us the opposite of that. And so next he says that those who mourn will find comfort. And uh, as we saw last week, these first two were mentioned in Isaiah chapter 61. Um, of course, Jesus quotes this in relationship to his own ministry, that he has come to provide these things. And The Spirit of the Lord of God said upon, is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, uh, which we studied last week. He has sent to me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to open the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of the Lord, to comfort all who mourn. Right? And so we see uh, there, and then of course he goes on to say, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, and so forth. 
And so uh, these are things that uh, Christ brings us through his ministry. And as we said, the, these are things that are necessary part of being in the, king, the greater kingdom of God. And in a larger context, it is true that a Christian will find comfort in all his sorrows in Christ. Because as we read this, we have to under, we want to understand, is Christ saying that the one who mourns will be comforted uh, so that in his sorrows, in his grief, he will, a Christian will find comfort? Well, that's absolutely true, right? There's, in the greater context, every, every aspect of sin that brings mourning and trouble and sorrow upon us will eventually be done away with and we shall be comforted from all of our troubles. But that's not, I don't think, exactly what Christ is getting at here. Although there's a sense in which all these beatitudes look forward to final perfection in glory. Right? You think about, you know, next week we'll look at the meek shall inherit the earth. Well, I think obviously there's a sense that it's only those, the, the saints who will inherit the new heavens and the new earth, right? But we'll also see that uh, it all begins now. There's something about this now that we get. There, there's a way in which we inherit the earth now. We'll get to that next week. Uh, those who properly mourn over sin will find victory over it. And I think what Christ is, is all, first of all getting here is that we will never find comfort, we will never find happiness until we are brought to the point that we understand the seriousness of our condition and we repent of it. We are we mourn over our sin. So there's, there's first of all, I think, always a gospel element here. So just as I have to understand my dependency upon the Lord before I can be saved there's a continuing dependence upon the Lord so it is with mourning At the very first thing we have to do is to mourn to understand our situation and do something about it that mourning has got to be the kind of mourning that will bring us to Christ to find comfort and then once that's done there's a sense in which that always continues every sorrow in this life we can we, we can find comfort in Christ. And so I think both of those things are there, and uh, and we can find application. So the blessedness is for those who are mourning, not that your mourning will end and then, and then you'll be blessed, but in our mourning we will be comforted. There is something about the mourning that brings comfort. Just it's so... A, the, there's something about the mourning that brings about repentance and a seeking Christ that will bring comfort. And so again, Jesus clearly turns our natural way of thinking on its head. Just as the world has always assumed that when you, when things are going your way in the flesh, happiness will follow. Pleasure Plus material things equal happiness, right? That's the way. That's that's the way the world all around us every day tells us. Conversely, it assumes then that the absence of pain and affliction and trouble will also bring about happiness, right? But the world looks at everything completely different. Now, to be fair, ultimate happiness will be the absence of pain. It will be complete pleasure. But 
Christ is saying that we live in a fallen world and that, uh, that, that part of that fallenness, that sin, is to think that the pleasures of the flesh and the, uh, and that all, anything that's unpleasant is bad and that only that which is pleasing is good. And what we're learning here is that no, Christians look at life a little bit differently. We look, we realize that not everything, not everything that's pleasant is good. And that sometimes sorrow and pain can be good. And I think that's part of what we will learn as we go through this. We, I had Jeff read Luke chapter 6 where Jesus adds a few opposites to the blessedness. Here he, he says, woe. So you can be happy in this situation, but woe to those who are rich for you have received your consolation, your consolation. Woe to you who are full now for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you for so their fathers did to the false prophets. And so here he, he, he kind of puts another layer on this that we have to think about because you, you've got to think about what he's saying here or you can come to the wrong conclusion. But you see here's a, there's a contrast between those who are in the kingdom and those without the kingdom. These would be those who are without the kingdom. But he isn't saying, you've you got to understand in a gospel context because he's not saying that if you're rich, then you... You've got it all now, and you've got nothing to look forward to. That if you happen to not be hungry, that all you have to look forward to is being hungry. So he's not saying that there's something wrong with being rich. There's something wrong with being full. You're having your bellies full. He's not saying that it's, it's wrong to laugh. Um, or or that it's certainly not wrong for people to speak well of you, right? But under certain conditions, all these things uh, are not good. Because, like, like the last one, if people are speaking well of you because you're doing evil for that which is wrong, then that's going to come back to bite you at some point. And so it is to those who think themselves rich. Think about uh, Revelation 3, right, in the church at Laodicea. You, you, said, you guys are rich. You think you're rich, but he says, really, you're poor. And I think it's exactly what... Jesus, of course, Jesus is the one who said that in Revelation, and Jesus, I think, is saying that here. You see, blessed are the poor, for you shall be uh, receive the kingdom of God. So, therefore, woe to those who are rich, for you're not going to. But again, you got to keep it then in the same context. It's it's not that you having money is bad, but when you try, when you think you have what is good, if you think you're righteous, for instance. That you're rich in righteousness. It's not good. You're, you're going to find out that you're poor. You see, your end is not going to be good. So you, you see what's going on here. You, you're full now. You live for everything now. You live for liberty. You see, you're laughing now. You, you want, you want levity and laughter and pleasure now. And you're not willing to give that up. And so you're going to mourn later as it were. And so you, you should be obvious in how that fits into the Beatitudes. It's the other side of the coin. So what does Jesus mean when he says, blessed are those that mourn? What does the mourning mean? And the word simply means to grieve over something, to, to sorrow over something. I don't think it's difficult to understand that. 
Sometimes we can sin in our morning. So again, there's always a, a need to balance things. Remember David when he mourned over Absalom, when Absalom died? And he had to eventually be uh, corrected by Joab of all people. Because he's mourned in an ungodly way. Absalom meant too much to David. Therefore, David mourned too much for his son. He said, well, how in the world could that be? Well, we've said this over and over again. If somebody means so much to you that when you, well, we talked about it this morning in Sunday school. Somebody means so much to you that all of a sudden they're gone and you you collapse and your spiritual life is over and whatever. Your happiness is over. Your joy is over. Your peace is over. Well, is it in Christ or is it in that individual, right? So David was way too wrapped up in his son and wasn't able to deal with it initially. And, and so that's, I think, the idea here. You can sin by mourning too much, and we need to always keep that in mind. He was grieving as the world grieved. Or when we can't be content without something. We have set our affections on it so that it affects the way we live when we don't have it, you see. It is a grief that exceeds our love for the Lord. And so all mourning isn't good. But, you know, mourning for... um it's got to be done in a way that has Christ at the center of it. So it is good to mourn for your sin, over your sin. To, to mourn when you see that you have uh, things in your life that are dishonoring the Lord. That is a, a good mourning. But it is not good to mourn to the point in which uh, it's not really your, your happiness is not in Christ, but it's in something else. So clearly there's a proper way and proper times to have sorrow, and proper sorrow can lead to good things. And that's, of course, what Christ is saying here. On the surface, we know this because trials and problems help us develop character. And I think that's a big part of of, of Christ's words here, is that when we recognize that some things are serious, that not, not all things are pleasant, uh, it can be a good, it can be good for us because it causes us to think things through and it causes us to examine ourselves. There's an old Arab saying that says, all sunshine makes a desert. Then we know they're not talking about the weather. They're talking about the fact that when everything goes well, there's certain, it brings about certain character problems, right? Because you, you, you know, you, you need, well, we use the illustration of a, of a tree that is a growing on a mountaintop where it faces the wind all the time. And so it, it's a stronger, the fibers are stronger in that tree than a tree that is always sheltered, for instance. That's just the way the life works. William Barclay, in, in his commentary, quotes this poem that I thought was good. I walked a mile of pleasure. She chattered all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, and there a word she said, said she, but oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. And I think that's the idea. And then Jesus is certainly going a little deeper than this. He's speaking of the sorrow that comes through sin, that causes all sorrow in our life in one way or another. In other words, he isn't so much speaking of the fact that for a Christian, all of our tears will eventually be wiped away, even though that's true. But that for a Christian, the, 
the one who uh, has a proper understanding of who he is and a proper relies upon the Lord will benefit greatly from that. Only those whose sin is forgiven can find any comfort anyway, or should find any comfort. You know, you think about it. I sometimes, will, you see people out there, people who are lost, and they're joking around, they're probably maybe coarse joking, they're, they're, they're all happy about things. And even, even in a legitimate way sometimes, you see, some, you see people that you know are lost, and they're happy and, and giggling or laughing over something that, that might be legitimate. But you think there's something wrong here. That happiness is going to be turned to sorrow. They don't know Christ. They're laughing, but they don't realize that they're that what's ahead of them, right? And they shouldn't be laughing. And that, and I think that's the point here. There's a sense in which, because of their condition, they shouldn't be laughing. They should be scared to death. But of course, they, their eyes haven't been open to that. And so for the Christian is the one who has, their eyes have been opened. We realize that, that, um, that I've got a sin problem and that this world is trying to, to destroy me and I've got to keep my wits about me and learn to, uh, have the proper attitude. So as we learn to mourn over our remaining sin as saints, we are able to turn them uh, turn from them and grow in godliness and be comforted in a way that those under sin's dominion cannot. So it's, it's not that we always have to be mourning, but but as we are serious about our sin, and it leads us to repentance and to forsake those sins and to pursue Christ, we'll be much happier, much more full of joy and peace as we grow in the Lord. So we shouldn't take from this that once we have had a proper mourning for sin and that brings us to salvation, that now, as Christians, we should always be happy and never sin. Again, I think that's that's not being balanced in this. Uh, Jesus isn't saying that God's people should always be mourning, always be solemn, never be happy, never joke or laugh. You just need to always be solemn, and that that's what will lead to a uh, great eternity or something like that. Rejoicing isn't always the same as, is, is not the same as acting happy all the time. Because we are told to rejoice always, right? And again I say rejoice. A Christian should always, because of what he knows and what he has experienced in Christ, always be rejoicing in, in the Lord and what he has done for us, right? So even in the darkest times, we are safe in Christ and we have that blessed hope. And so we always have that, we are always comforted in that. Right? That's much different than walking around with a pain smile on our face and some do that. And I don't know, I'm not talking about anybody here. Because um, if anything, my problem is, is that I don't smile enough. But as I've tried to explain to my wife, my face just doesn't, the muscles don't work that way easily, right? But it's probably an excuse, but anyway. But, um, you know, so we, it doesn't mean that we have to uh, walk around with a frown on our face all the time, and it doesn't mean that we, it certainly doesn't mean that we are to pretend that we're, that nothing's 
that there aren't sorrowful things and serious things in this world. Again, there's a balance here. These are those that see themselves as spiritually bankrupt, as we saw in verse 4 or 3. And that sorrow will lead them to repentance and forgiveness, and then we will find comfort. And so I think verses 3 and 4 just work, uh, fit each other very, very well. Over in, let's turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. If you were here for us uh, as we went through the uh, book of 1 Corinthians, and we're going to get through, uh, we're going to get to 2 Corinthians probably once I get done with Matthew. I just wanted to kind of take a break. But over in 2 Corinthians, Corinthians chapter uh, 7. In, in 1 Corinthians, we remember uh, that church was being chided because they were allowing a man to evidently sleep with his mother-in-law or with his uh, father's wife and uh, his, his stepmother. And they weren't doing anything about it. And so he comes down on them and he says, that person needs to be put out of the church. That person needs to be confronted and you're not doing that. And it brought about a of sorrow. And in chapter 7 of first of Second Corinthians, we see kind of the aftermath of this. As he writes his second letter, <clears throat> he says, in, in starting in verse uh, 4, I am acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort in all our affliction. I am overjoying, overflowing with joy. For even when we came to Macedonia, <clears throat> Our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn. Um, okay, I want to get skip down here. To uh, verse, let's just go down to verse eight. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved. But because you were grieved unto repenting, for you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. And what's going on there is that they had reacted properly to their sin, in their compromising with this man and with sin in general, and that brought them to grief. It brought them to grief, to uh, repentance. So he said, I, I was, I was happy for your grief. Not that he was happy that they were sad or went through that, but it, it led to of the proper discipline. And we find out that that man was actually had repented and had been brought back into the church. So you see, yeah, proper grief, proper mourning over your sin is a good thing. <clears throat> the sorrow of their sin led to repentance and restored fellowship. Um, and even more than this was that sorrow over sin leads one to forsake his way as it did with that man in the church. And so that's the comfort that we ultimately need uh, to be brought back into fellowship with Christ. These poor in spirit are because uh, are become those that mourn. Th- those that are poor in spirit are the ones who will mourn. So this mourning isn't just the kind uh, we seek relief from, since it leads us to a proper relationship with Christ. In other words, that's why we have to be very careful about always wanting to be distracted and happy and not realize that, no, sometimes we need to sit and think. Sometimes we need to think about the unpleasant things because it can lead us to do what is right. <clears throat> so all the morality to follow in, in the Sermon on the Mount 
if done, does, but not out of love for the Lord, is a result of being, um, and if, if it's a, if it's done out of a love for the Lord, and as a result of being conformed to His image, is a good thing that pleases the Lord. But it will only please Him if it's done from a heart that loves Him, that sees Him as the tum total of our existence. Job uh, 42.5 says, I heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. As Job comes to see the Lord in his glory and see his sinfulness, it brings him, in one sense, uh, as he says here, to the point where he despises himself because he sees how, how awful he is. But it didn't lead him to despair. It led him to repent. He realized what he needed to do before the Lord. Seeing God in his essence doesn't cause him to despair, but puts him into a position of trust. So I think that's a good example of being mourned and finding comfort. And the word used for mourn here is really the strongest term for that in the New Testament. Just as the word poor meant absolute poverty, so mourning is the strongest term. It's a serious mourning. It's not flippant. It's not partial. It's the real deal. It generally describes one's grief over death because that's probably the the way we would most understand it, the, the, the worst kind of grief. It's a deep, inner, heartfelt, real agony, in this case over sin. Not just some penance not some outward show. It isn't just a passing feeling of guilt. It's, um, and then, you know, what we have a, a, a hang of guilt, so we look at, do something else to kind of get our minds off of it. It's real sorrow over things in our lives that dishonor the Lord and a commitment to do something about it. See, it's, it's a morning to find comfort. It's a morning that does find comfort. It's not a feeling. And so the comfort comes not in the morning itself, but in the result of the morning, as God responds in forgiveness. We notice that this morning is a mindset that we are always to have. It can be translated, blessed are those who are mourning. So again, it's not something that we just do to get saved. It's, it's, it's what describes the people who are in the kingdom of God. Uh, John MacArthur tells a story of immediately a man who uh, came to him and he quoted uh, John, 1 John 1 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he says, I'm so glad that I finally understand that verse and I don't have to repent anymore. And uh, John MacArthur, instead of trying to correct him, says, well, do you still repent? And the guy says, well, I just told you I don't have to repent anymore. And John says, yeah, I heard you, but do you still repent? And he says, well, that's, that's, that's kind of the problem because I, I still I still do, but but I, I shouldn't have to. And, and, and John, so John MacArthur says, well, even though in your mind you have fallen into error, someone that has, has, has confused you in this and you're in error, yet I know that you're a Christian because you still are upset over your sins. So, it was kind of an interesting way to take care of this problem, to expose the error. 
Because a Christian is always mourning over his sin. We never are at a point where we no longer have to um, to not re- repent because we're not perfect. And the only ones who really take that verse that way are those who think you can reach sinless perfection in this life anyway. But I would say that today our problem is that there's a great deal of laughter at sin. Instead of the mourning over sin that we should have, that is healthy, our problem is that we are too enthralled with sin. And not just the world, but we know that as Christians, we don't often mourn over sin when we see it, whether it be in ourselves or others, as we ought to. And I think Satan likes that. When we laugh at sin, when we treat it casually, uh, then we do Satan's work for us. And the reality is Satan has won a victory because we laugh at sin when we should have mourned it. And that's, that happens all the time. It have not just, you know, someone's telling dirty jokes and, you know, we, we, we really aren't bothered by it. But if Satan can get us to laugh about sin first, then we're really one step down the path where we just stop, stop mourning over our sin altogether. And so I would say to you that we ought to be very, very careful And I'm going down this path because Luke opens the door and says we have to beware of levity when it comes to relationship and and its relationship to mourning. Remember, we talked about it. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. See, if if we grow casual to sin, that's going to cost us something. And ultimately... The lost do that to their own destruction. They, they refuse to mourn. They will only laugh. They'll only look for happiness and levity, and they do that to their destruction. So why as Christians do we want to live like that way? Why would we want to do that? We understand the error of that. So sometimes laughter exposes an issue. We should be mourning over something, and we find ourselves laughing, and that, that should be a good way to examine ourselves. What's going on here? And that's why, uh, back to our t- text in Second Corinthians, if we go back to First Corinthians chapter five, where all this began, notice what Paul says here. It is actually reported that sexual immorality exists among you, the kind of immorality that is not permitted even among the Gentiles. So that someone is cohabitating with his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you have been deeply sorrowful instead? See, had they been mourning over that, and again, not that they're, not that they're mourning and, and crying, but had they realized how awful that is and had that bothered them, they would have confronted him and they would have removed that from the church or whatever would have been the right thing to do at the time, right? And so that explains what Paul says later on when they, through his letter, do repent of their laughing at sin, of, of their laxity at sin. Now all of a sudden they're, they're brought into, back into fellowship with Christ and Paul and all as well. And so it's a, it's a great example of what Christ is saying here in our text. So this isn't just an emotion that helps you cope with life and makes you feel better. It actually accomplishes something in your life. It's not that, it's not, it's just Jesus wants us to be sad and that's all that matters. 
It's something that gains forgiveness and a clear conscience and peace so that you can move on in life. Anything that restores and strengthens our relationship with God, it should bring a comfort, right? I would say most of us, I don't know most of us, but a lot of people maybe laugh too much and sorrow too little. And, and, and that's what, kind of what we've been saying here. We, we don't really take our sin seriousness, seriously as we should. We don't take, we, we don't take the sin that's out in the world as seriously as we should. And so one thing this teaches us is that no matter, no amount of smiling and pleasure and certainly forgetting and distractions and the denying of sin is going to bring happiness. Only a godly response to sin and a clear conscience can. Sin and true joy are incompatible. And, and I'm not saying that in a worldly sense. We know that's true with the loss. And I'm saying in your own life, in your own mind, that's how you need to think. I will, I will, I will always be better off and happier and more content, more joyful, more full of peace as I am dealing effectively with my sin as opposed to thinking that if I just ignore it, I'll, I'll be happier. It doesn't work that way. And so this leads us to the fact that we do not always have to be amused and smiling in life to have joy. And I think living in our day and age with all the distractions we have, it is so easy to be distracted and not think about life and not think about the problems and not think about our sin that we do ourselves a great disservice. And that's why we said earlier, sometimes it's good for us to go through some difficult times. Sometimes it's good for us to have to think about death. It's good for us to go to a funeral. I mean, there are those who, who don't, won't go to a funeral thing. Yet. They, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to think about it. Well, yeah, that's, that's your problem. There are sobering aspects to life that we have to live in light of, that we can't ignore. That's, I think, that's what Jesus is saying. Blessed are those who mourn. Life is not just about eating and drinking and being merry. As the preacher in Ecclesiastes says, there's a time to weep, there's a time to laugh. But there's a, yeah, there's a time to laugh. But there is a time to weep, right? There's a time to mourn and a time to dance, he says in the first four verses of chapter seven. Sin has brought real and lasting and unavoidable consequences to life that we need to acknowledge. You know, now there, again, there's two sides to all of this. There are those who, they can't get over the fact that they're sinners, even as Christians. They just really can't believe God has forgiven them. That God loves them. They're just, they're miserable because they, they understand how unworthy they are and they can't, they don't find comfort in it. They haven't, they haven't been able to give this to Christ. And then there are those who, you go the opposite and they don't want him to think about it. And both of those are wrong. I think both of those are dishonoring to the Lord. Life isn't about ignoring the consequences of the fall. It is living for God in the midst of those consequences. And so some go the other way and are never happy because of seriousness of, of, of not only their sin, but, you know, if you, it's like watching the news all the time. I, I know people who, who are addicted to the news and they're not happy. You know, I mean, overall, they're, 
They're just worried. That's all they can think about because this world and life is a awful thing in some ways. There's a lot of evil going on in the world. There's a lot of sin going on in my life. But the idea is not to let that defeat you. The idea is to take those things to Jesus Christ. As far as the news and what's going on in the world is what what can be more helpful than to understand that the sovereignty of God and that it's all working together for your good and for the ultimate glory of God. So it's not a right response to not be comforted by your sin. The right response is to find comfort in the gospel. So it's okay to have fun excuse me, in part of your life, but that's not what life is about. And of course, we all know those who that all they care about is, is being happy, being on that next high. And so it's not teaching us that we can't have real fun now. You know, if you, I've been around long enough to know that, you know, nobody likes to laugh more than I do. It's a gift from God sometimes to have fun and mirth. But that's not the goal of life. And there are too many sobering things that we must deal with for us to act like being happy all the time is really all that matters, right? Just as the joy of the Lord tempers our grief, so the consequences of living in a sinful world should temper our mirth. Again, if we're going to be temperate in all things, we're going to be happy when it's appropriate to be happy. And we're going to be serious when it's appropriate to be serious. The spiritual realities of heaven and hell and God and judgment and his salvation hang over us all the time. They give us a proper sense of reality and its seriousness. Um, notice here in James, where he chides the, the churches, Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Now, if you just read that verse, just like you, you could read the verse here in, in the Beatitudes, but, and, and don't have a context for it, it would sound like James is saying that Christians should be as mournful as they possibly can and stay away from anything that makes them happy. That's not what he's saying at all. The context is that they were they were allowing a gross sin in their church and they were mistreating one another and they weren't bothered by it. And, and they were dishonoring the Lord. And, and James says, you guys need to, what he's saying here is you need to repent of this. You need to think about what's going on here and do something about it. You see, <clears throat> regardless of the songs that the world sings that we so easily are influenced by, I remember, and I'll, I'll use one for my generation, um, uh, how many remember Tula Clark's song, uh, When You're Feeling Low, and you know, Forget All Your Problems, Forget All Your Cares, and Go Downtown, remember? Does anybody remember that besides me? A few of you, okay, good. And, uh, now, in my mind, if I'm feeling low, I, there's nothing downtown that I could care less about, right? But there, you know, there's people who are drawn to that. I tend to go out in the woods or somewhere else, do something different. But that's the point is, in her mind, going downtown was the, was the thing that really brought her joy and made her forget all her problems, right? It kind of reminds me of Pilgrim's Progress in Vanity Fair. In other words, it's, to be caught up in all, Vanity Fair was the world with all its goods. 
This is what the world has to offer, and to be completely distracted by that and forget that they're going to supposed to be going to glory land, right? So that's that's what the world tells us to do. Forget all your problems. Don't be sad. Be happy. Well, there's a song that says that, right? Because there's a serious side of life that's caused by sin, and it's got to be dealt with if you're going to find true happiness. And as far as if you're going to find salvation, for one thing, the sin found in this world should not intrigue us. It should cause us to mourn. And, and I know we have a dwelling sin. We are attracted. There's something in us that is attracted to a lot of bad things out there. I understand that. But if we have the light and love of God in our lives, we mourn that when we see it in ourselves. And so when we find comfort in Christ from our sin, it should cause us to want to share the gospel with others that they might find comfort. And we never read of Jesus laughing. And it doesn't mean he never did. I'd be surprised if he never did. But he was born into a world to do serious work. And, of course, more than anybody, he understood the seriousness of sin and what it was doing. But before anyone has a right and reason to laugh or be happy at all, he must first learn to mourn over his sin. Now, yes, millions, billions don't. But if you think about it, it only makes sense. Why would I ever laugh at anything until I've gotten that sin problem taken care of? Because it doesn't matter how much fun I'm having if I'm going to go to hell someday. Jesus suffered that he might have the joy of the church, Hebrews 12 tells us. And later Jesus tells us that he when, that when he saves us, he's going to give us a comforter. That would be unwise to think. When Jesus says that the Christian is going to be given the comforter, which we know is the Holy Spirit, we've got to be very careful that we don't forget that the comfort of Christ and salvation does not come through some mystical feeling. When Jesus says he's going to give you a comforter, or that he's going to comfort us, the Spirit's going to comfort us. It does not mean that when I need it, all of a sudden, I'm going to have comfort in my heart, a feeling of comfort, a feeling of peace, a feeling of joy. That's mysticism. That's saying that God's going to work in you without you having to do anything. And we've got to be kind of careful about that, because the peace of Christ is not some sort of peaceful, easy feeling. It's the result of knowing that in Christ there is full forgiveness of sins. It's a result of knowing something of, 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 that produces faith to believe that we get comfort. And many don't enjoy this peace because they don't understand it. If they're going to have peace in Christ, they're going to have to know God's word. They're going to have to read God's word and know it and so that they can recall that and and live according to those truths. And I'll give you just one example of this in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's just don't even read the next one. I know you already have, but it just sounds like, well, hey, you know, if I come to Christ, I'm just gonna have rest and peace and you know everything's good. Well, take my yoke upon you. That's yoke is submission. It is an unpleasantness, and not in this case, but, you know, we think about yoke to serve. There's a responsibility here. And learn of me. 
For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. So you're not going to find rest for your soul just by becoming a Christian and ignoring Christ and ignoring the Word and being lax at church and lax in study and just think that God's going to get, you know, well, what we need to do is just sing a bunch of good Christian songs. Let's have a good song service and let, let that feeling of joy, the uplift, all the uplifting things be enough. See? No. You've got to be a serious student of God's Word. Rest comes when we learn of Christ. When you see Christians who have no desire to study God's Word, you have to wonder. That's why Paul makes it clear in 1 Corinthians 15 that a faith that isn't based on facts is a useless faith. We rest in gospel truths, not in feelings. This world says that you can believe what you want as long as it works for you. Well, that's just nonsense because Paul says that if you, if Christ is still in the grave and if the Bible is not true, then we're uh, most to be pitied. It hasn't done a thing for us. So faith is not subjective. It is based on objective facts. Uh, there's no benefit in it. And so if you come to church or if you read your Bible hoping for just guidance to have a little bit better day or some little problem you're having and you don't go looking for Christ and looking for the heavenly manna to grow in your faith, yeah, it's not going to do you any good. And it is these Beatitudes that are telling us why. We're just about done here. Christ is calling us to deny ourselves and not seek to have it all now, to give up some things now for a much better then, and really for a much better now and then. Christianity isn't useless, or excuse me, it is useless if there's no God and there's no hereafter. That is why any Christianity that doesn't focus on the gospel, but primarily on physical needs, is an error because what people need first and foremost is to have peace with God. So sin brings sobering aspect to our life. I think that's what Christ is saying here. And so we are to be a mourning people concerning sin, but in such a way that it is properly dealt with dealt with so that and that we're overcoming it so that we can be examples of to this world of what it is to have the greatest joy and the greatest happiness and the greatest peace, right? If we're not dealing with our sin properly so that we're miserable, then we're not telling the world that there's any real uh, benefit in coming to Christ. Jeremiah 18.11 Now therefore I say to, say to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. There's the more, you should be mourning over that. Return everyone from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. But they say, That is in vain. We will follow our own plans. And will everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart? Now, of course, they, they're not saying, I'm going to follow my stubborn evil heart. They didn't believe it was evil or stubborn. But they're rejecting the Lord, thinking that um, we're, we're just going to be happy. And, and the Lord's saying, look, you, you need to understand the situation you're in and, be, and mourn. And that's going to be a whole lot better for you than ignoring it. So I hope that as Christians... We live as if the Bible is true. And if you never mourn, and if you, if there aren't times of seriousness over spiritual things, I would say something is terribly wrong. 
and again, I'm not, I don't mean it in a depressing way, but a serious way. These things matter. Your sin matters. The, the sin, uh, the way you treat people, the way, you know, these, these things are important. In the way that they serve the Lord or not. So you cannot be blessed by ignoring the seriousness of sin. Psalm 126, uh, 5 says, Those who weep, or so in tears, shall weep with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed of sowing, shall come with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. I think, again, that's a Old Testament uh, idea of what we're talking about here. Don't be afraid of the seriousness of life and the sorrow it can bring because joy comes in the morning. Because there's more to life than just being happy. And so this whole section is telling us that something better awaits those who live for Christ now. And as we're going to go on to see, even when that means great sorrow, perhaps martyrdom, it doesn't matter. Joy comes in the morning. It will be worth it. Most of all, faith is in the finished work of Christ. His shed blood comforts us when we sin and when we are beset by difficulties because we know there is reason for them that Christ has promised to deliver us through them. Uh, that's why the sovereignty of God and under, understanding that it brings as much comfort, I think, as any doctrine in the word of God. And, and I hope that we all can say, yes, I've experienced the comfort that comes in knowing God's word and having that applied to me in, in, in my situation, that we all are able to find comfort even in the deepest, darkest sorrows of life. Christ means his work means that much to us. So, any questions or comments before we sing a song?